Thank you, Kevin. Well, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we have Kevin Schulte, CEO at GreenSpark. Kevin, thanks for taking the time out with us this morning, afternoon, depending on where you are in the country. And Kevin, we're going to kick this off, man. And uh, you say you're a Philly guy. Can you give us a brief, uh, I don't know, what's your favorite Philly cheesesteak? We heard we heard the tour response are a trap. <laughs> yeah, depends on the time of day. If you're you know, in a nor if you're in a normal state of mind, I like Delisandro's. If you're in a, uh, you know, if you're if you're late night on South Street, you go to gym. So that that would be my answer to your question. Ishkabibbles has a close second on South Street. All right. So uh, you're at one of these late night spots. You know, you're 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 asking, you're requesting the uh, DJ to bring on some karaoke music for Kevin Schulte to belt at the top of his lungs before he goes picks up a gym steak. What song are you requesting? Super important question. What time of year am I doing? Time this? of year. Good question. Valid, valid question. Um, far away from Christmas. So no Christmas songs are not on option. Maybe it's they, cold they were, outside. I'm taking that one away from you. So like currently, like if you wanted me to, if you want to ask what's at the top of my playlist, I would tell you War Pigs by Black Sabbath is like oddly, right? It's winter and, you know, sort of thing. And I'm fired up about the state of the world and um, so that's on my list. But if you're giving me that question in the summertime, um, probably somewhere in the Grateful Dead, Terrapin Station always touches, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of a band called Railroad Earth, a Jersey band, um, dance to their uh, song Loving You at my wedding. So that'd be pretty high on my list as well. Love that. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, Kevin, so you mentioned those, those Philly cheesesteak spots up there. How do they compare to a caliber sellers? Um, Steak sub or a, or a uh, oh no, he's already shaking his head. Yeah, already shaking his head. That's an old, don't go there. The, que <laughs> the, the question is insulting. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is like Philadelphia cheesesteaks are a particular passion of mine. So I live in Rochester, right? I got two little kids. Two little kids are being influenced by their in-laws, my in-laws and their cousins and stuff. And they're trying to, you know, make them Yankees fans or Bills fans. And like, I don't live at home anymore. My family's still down. So like the things that I can give them are like, you know, cheese steaks, soft pretzels and Philly sports. Right. And so I spend a lot of time defending that territory. And so at my house, if you want to come over on Sunday to watch the Eagles, you're welcome. You have to wear Eagles green or you get, you don't get a cheesesteak. Right. And so I bring the, I bring the ingredients back from home um, and all that kind of stuff. And so that, that's, those are the rules in my house. So like, I have a particularly strong affinity towards the Philly cheesesteak, although I shouldn't eat them. Cause I, you know, I need to lose some weight obviously, but like, you know, they're still on the list. They're still on the list. They make they, Sunday cheesesteaks, make it through no matter what dieting program I'm on. They're, <laughs> they're still allowed. You're allowed that cheat day last time I right. checked, right? The most right. successful that's ones. I'm a huge cheesesteak fan myself, Tyler, and I, my parents, my grandparents being down in Pennsylvania, I know that's a no, that, you don't go there, man. You don't go right, there. Because, see, like, the way you ask the question is, like, steak sub. No, that, that there's yeah. no sub involved. Like, then that, that, it's not the same thing. It's a totally different thing. You can have Swing a steak sub. Miss, Ty. Swing right. yeah. oh, gosh, that's you like y'all trying to talk to me about barbecue. I totally get it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Next question. Next All right, question. so then we're thinking about the next question. We're trying to learn a little something. We're gonna, trying to get a peek behind this uh, curtain over there at Greenspark. Kevin, what's your favorite movie? And I don't care about time of year. I, I'm of not year. asking about Christmas movies here either. Uh, my favorite movie. Uh, I, I would tell you my favorite movie, I think, would be Braveheart. I think that's probably my favorite movie. Love that, dude. Uh, I don't really, I don't, I don't really have a good answer as to why. I like a lot of movies, but I, I think that'd be on my list. That's, yeah, outside well, of well Kevin, I'm movie. sold on your energy over there, man. You, Me you look too, like, dude. You don't take life too seriously, but you get things done, and you have a strong passion for cheesesteaks. What, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning, man? How do you wake up in this attitude and energy? It's a, it's a great question, right? I mean, the 
the reality of our lives are um, most people, I think, think of their life as like, I have a life and then I have a job, right? And I, I really try not to do that, right? I really try and just get up and be alive and like live my life. So, you know, the guy my kids get, my wife get in the morning shouldn't be like a dramatically different guy than my customers and my employees and my people get during the day. Like, I don't want to like change costumes and like go do be some other person. Right. And so for me, it's just like, I don't know, 20, when was I a freshman in college? 26 years ago, I went to college to be a doctor. Some, some professor named Dr. Jamie Weinbrake, he's the provost at UNCW now, showed me the chart in my first college class of, you know, the greenhouse gas cycle. Wow. And I said to myself, you know, this is a really big problem, right? And no one was talking about it then, but like, it was a really, to me, it was like, this is a really big problem. I gotta, I gotta do something about this. So after one class in college, I changed my major from pre-med um, to work on wow. um, uh, energy and the environment and the climate problem. And so for me, um, I, I think frankly, like my whole family are helpers, right? They're people that are, are doing things for um, the, the common good, for, for the betterment of people around them. So I was, I was you know, um, born into a world of love. I've been given that and privileged to have that my whole life. And so, you know, for me, it was like, okay, but this doesn't really help people, right? I want to be a doctor to directly help people. This doesn't necessarily help people. But then you start to realize, oh, no, it does. But it's a, it's a sort of macro help, right? Instead of that micro help, that sort of hands-on approach. And so I think um, for me, the, um, the recognition that this is like, you know, a major problem and I can do something, if I can be a part of the solution, uh, keeps me going. That and, you know, love a life, love a family, um, you know, um, in spite of challenging times, those things see you through. And so you, you hold on to that and go for it. Got to, you just, I'm on board, you just, Kevin. I'm on board yeah, over I'm here. On, I'm on board for this interview. You, you can say that again because this is going to get real fun real quick. Um, so, Kevin, a couple of things you just said there. Uh, a couple of uh, Tyler and I lit up like kids on Christmas uh, for what you said. But one of the biggest things that I took away was what you said at the beginning. I don't want to be a different person than who I am at home compared to who I am in the walls, proverbial walls of the business. Um, when did you learn that? And when did, when uh, does your wife help you kind of when you're maybe stray away from that and you are acting a little bit different, does she help be that accountability partner for you? The answer to that is certainly yes. Right. Like, um, let me try to take this in two parts. So my wife is a, an amazing partner in that um, I think we take moments to like check in with each other on our day, you know, on, on that sort of work portion of our lives. And for what it's worth, my wife is an, a flower farmer that, you know, runs a little flower farm at our home. So, right. So like you, there is no break, there's no separation, right. You're living, right. Sometimes the kids are there and the husband's there and sometimes they're not. So she, she's in it, right. She's in that life. And then um, for, for me, um, you know, we take that time to check in, make sure things are okay, but like, it's about being your whole self uh, for the kids, which you don't get enough time of in this world of careers and timing and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yes, we hold each other to account to, to bring our whole selves to our family life. Um, I don't really have like a mechanism of how we do that, but it's like just to check in, you know, make sure we're okay. But like, let's not talk about solar power all night long. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's do other stuff. Let's not talk about flowers all night long. Let's do other stuff, but we certainly check in and we know what's going on in each other's um, business lives. And how did I learn that? It's a really interesting question, right? The history of my company is for the first, let's see, so from 2002 to 2010, when I moved in with my wife, with Aaron Kate, um, we, the, the principles of the business all lived together, right? For the first eight years of operation. So, uh, and for some of that time, like our office was at the house. And so there was, you know, it, it, there was no physical separation, but there was this sort of mental and emotional separation where like, you know, at some point, like, you know, you, 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 you tip the, 
glass and said, okay, let's take a break from that and, and, and you know, live, live life and do other things. And then we'll come back to that again tomorrow. And so I think it, it was sort of ingrained in me through that period of time. And I've always had this practice of like separation, mm -hmm. right? So you can't carry every problem with you all day. So like now my practice is when I get up in the morning, uh, take the kids to school, I come back, have a few minutes with my wife, check in, make sure everything's, you know, set for the day. And then I get in my car and I do a driving meditation. So I don't really have time to like sit and meditate all day, every day, but I do this little meditation. That's just kind of like, you know, you're safe and your hands are on the wheels and you're focused. You're not closing your eyes and things like that, but it's just about like recreating your mental space to do the things that you're going to do for the day. And so you're creating separation, but it's all in this grander context of like life. I'm not the type of guy that's like, going to turn down a phone call from my wife or my kids during the day, just because I'm so busy. Like mm -hmm. that all has to be integrated for me to be successful. Wow. Love, love the point that that all has to be integrated in order for you to be successful. Wow. Yeah, man. Thanks for giving us some of these tips, Kevin. You know, there, there's definitely <laughs> something you do differently. Um, Kevin and I, Kevin Rusticy over here and I have the, we've interviewed over 30, 35 leaders in the, the Rochester area and you got a little something different, man, just the way you carry yourself. Um, so it's no, no surprise to me that you do something each morning to uh, recreate yourself. I'm uh, not really shocked by that at all. Um, just love hearing it and uh, love, love hearing it, 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 it like time and time again by leaders say something along those lines. Just helps Kevin and I uh, do the same damn thing, really, um, to get our lives going like that. Um, so you say you do a driving meditation uh, and to recreate your mental space, I think is so important. Um, just so we're not stuck in that that static uh I don't know how to even describe it. Um, but I guess my question to you is, so other than that teacher saying, hey, you shouldn't be a doctor, here's, a, here's the blueprint of um, uh, solar panels, where did you take it from there? I mean, you, you saw that and did you just switch majors, you said, or how did you get that started? Yeah, I switched majors on the spot. I Move, move from a focus on pre-med and biotechnology to, you know, um, uh, environmental engineering and the environment and energy and uh, just went from there. I mean, um, you know, for, for me, uh, I, went to, I went to school in Virginia, James Madison, with several of my business partners now, and it was an interesting experience, right? I was a liberal kid, grew up in, you know, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, you know, just north of Philadelphia, and we, and we sort of like... Um, you know, we all have biases in life, right? And, and I like to believe that my bias was to be more free and thinking and, you know, questioning. I used to get in trouble with the Catholic high school, I used to get in trouble all the time. I remember a specific fight with uh, a priest over, you know, taking contraception to Africa to work on the AIDS problem uh, at that mm -hmm. time. And like, to me, it wasn't, I wasn't questioning what the church was practicing. It was just like, doesn't this seem like a smart thing to do? Like, I don't know. Maybe this seems like a smart thing to do. And I, you know, so is it, it, it was more about questioning. So when I went to college, I was um, immersed in this world of right now, now I'm talking about energy in the environment and I'm doing it with a bunch of kids that grew up in the rural South often um, with their own set of biases. Mm -hmm. And that was like created conflict. And I was in the dramatically in the minority of the way that I was thinking about it in comparison to the way that other people were thinking about it. Like they would have just gone and been, you know, engineers for the next coal plant, and the next nuclear power plant, if, if it was up to their druthers. And I was like, ah, that doesn't really seem like it's going to do anything. And so that, that, that sort of put me in this place of like, you know, sort of questioning, uh, I guess, the status quo and the way things were and the way things were going to be and sort of asking that. Um, all throughout. So like, you know, I, I got in that place, uh, studied, um, studied renewable energy as an undergrad, right? One of the first programs in the country at James Madison that did that. And then spent two summers at the Energy Institute in uh, the island nation of Malta. Um, one, one year I was there um, working on, I went to study a solar desalination unit that was like a home-based take the salt water and make your own clean water. And then when I got there and I was like, this is a rickety, rusty old piece of junk. I don't really want to study that. It's not really no. worth my time. So I met a guy named Robert Ferrugia who was studying wind power for the archipelago at that time. And I ended up doing writing a thesis with him that summer. And then I came back the following year as a thesis. 
uh, sorry, as a TA, as a TA for um, one person that works for me now, another person that used to work for me, um, I was their TA. And what, what I studied that year was um, I actually helped write a policy called net metering, which is a renewable energy policy that exists in 47 states right now. But I wrote it for a government regulated monopoly utility for the island of Malta in 1998. And so that was sort of it. And then when I came back from that trip, I sent a resume and a cover letter to every company that had uh, a membership to the American Wind Energy Association at that time. And one of them called me and said, hey, come work for us. I did. I went to Austin, Texas, built you know, a couple hundred megawatts worth of wind farms over a couple of years. And then um, when 9-11 happened, my, um, my business partners and I started talking and said, hey, it's our time. Let's go start our own business. And we moved to New York to do it because someone had a girlfriend here in college. And so Governor Pataki was saying, let's do renewable energy. And we said, all right, let's go there. Wow. And, that, and then you know, we'll celebrate 20 years as a business on April 2nd. Congratulations. So, Congratulations. Yeah. That's amazing. Just here, just hearing that, that crooked mile journey to, to find where you are today, but um, is, is incredible to hear about. I think that um, a lot of people that may be trying to start their own business due to the great reshuffle or the great resignation right now. And just hearing like it had it all start in your house and it all started with a doctor and showing you kind of where, where, where we're, where we're headed. And you fought uh, enough of that to, to really change your major, just like that as a drop of the hat. My question, your parents, I don't know how thrilled they were with that conversation. I'm sure that was uh, a challenging conversation when you first started, but how has so all I got this helped you to be a leader, Kevin? Um, like understanding that you can change on a dime, you're comfortable with change. Um, you jump at the, the oper first opportunity uh, uh, for new opportunities, excuse me. Um, how has this made you a, just a better leader at, now that you're the CEO over at that organization? So the, hit, the history uh, tells a lot of the story. Mm -hmm. But the reality for me is, I think uh, what I've learned is um, a couple of things. Number one is, you know, our success has come from a growth in and a desire to have more people to join us on this journey, right? And so I think that's, that's a big one, right? In the early days, we were just like a couple people and we were bebopping around and we were doing our thing. And it was like, cool, we're making a couple bucks and we're doing some cool projects and that's awesome, right? And then like about 2012, we said, wait a minute, there's something to this, right? So 10 years in, we said, all right, I think we finally found something that's like a scalable, replicable, repeatable business model. And so we sort of went after it. And, and I think for me, it's like, I know that my job is, and, and, th and this is because of my extraordinary partnership with, with my, one of my best friends and my business partner, which is George McConaughey. The, the job that I have is to never be afraid to take a big swing if it means we enhance our ability to fight the climate crisis. Right. Mm. And George's job is to take that uh, vision for big swings and like make sure we have an operating business that can be successful mm. and that he can kick me out of uh, and say, like, dude, I can't do that right now. Right. I got to we, we got to do this stuff to make sure um, we move forward in an appropriate way. And then I think the second side of where the history impacts right? My leadership is like, I, I said this already, like I grew up in a world of love. That's a great privilege, right? Not everyone gets that opportunity. I uh, never for a moment take um, that for granted. And so as you grow a business and you recognize, right, that like you want people to share the opportunity you have, which is to live a life, right? Home and work are part of life. Uh, you want them to enjoy that right? And you want that to be meaningful and have purpose. Uh, you want them to be financially healthy and spiritually healthy and physically healthy and all those sort of things. Like, so then you work to create a working environment that offers those opportunities to as many people as you can. And so when you think about it in all those ways, right, it's like, okay, there's this climate thing, but then like maybe the more meaningful thing that I can do um, is to employ a lot of people that can enjoy their life. Right. Like, you know, and, and so um, 
I, I would say, I, I'm not sure which one's the bigger goal at this point, but like they're both big goals. And we're, you know, we're 75-ish people right now. Um, and, and some of our people say, should we get bigger? What, what's bigger? What's big enough, right? Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is like, there is no big enough, mm -hmm. right? We have, a, we have a global crisis that we're working on locally. And like, you know, if we can provide meaningful path to people to have a meaningful career or path out of poverty um, or whatever have you, like, why, why wouldn't we want to do that more, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Man, sign me, in. sign me up to work for Greenspark, Ty, because I, I, I want to run through a wall yeah. for Kevin over here. It's just and Kevin. I want to ask you, man. I, you keep saying the world of love, and you know, I grew up in the '90s where it was like cool not to say love, um, especially like in, you know how I was brought up, and it wasn't in a bad way. It was just like, oh, love. That's uh, something we really don't touch on. Uh, did you have that experience at all, or do you feel like you were the only guy around that kind of grew up with that? I don't know, mindset, motto, or experience. Not sure I, not sure I knew it when I was doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's all in reflection. But okay. the reality of, um, I, I think, I, you know, I think that, I'll say two things. One is like, you, you just experience the world the way it touches you, right? And, and the world provided me with a very de minimis amount of grief and pain and hardship through, you know, the beginning, I don't know, 20 some years of my life. Right. And so like that, that to me combined with, you know, family and friends and things like that, like, yeah. Now, all that being said, like I was an absolute miscreant, like didn't have <laughs> deep friend, you know, good friendships until I met the guys. Uh, and they are all guys. So I can say it that way. Right. Until I met the guys that are my business partners now. Right. Like, and when I met those people, like, like not in a, in a, uh, in any other way than like, these are the guys that I'm going to spend time with. Like I fell in love with those people. Right. And, um, I, I, I sort of gained this philosophy, um, somewhere towards the end of college of like, um, when you come across really amazing people, like you just kind of want to gather them up and keep them close. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so like George and Ernie, um, you know, and I, you know, we, we just on, on Thursday night last week, came into the shop here, watched the, the, you know, the U S soccer team play on TV and, you know, ordered a pizza and enjoy. it's like, you just, these are great people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, so I, I think that whole concept of just like, when you, when you meet someone amazing in their life, like figure out ways to keep them close to you. And, you know, our average tenured employee at this point you know my my leadership team has a for instance every person in my leadership team has been with the company over 12 years wow right so it's like you know so, so that philosophy continues to reign and, and and we do have a belief system somewhat of like come grow with us you know i've got the, the, our our uh, carrie o'connor who runs our residential operations in, in our new workforce development program uh she started as my executive assistant now she's running a 10 million dollar business and you know, trying to help train, offer um, training opportunities to our, our own employees and, um, you know, other members of our community. And so it's, you know, it's an amazing story for myself, but like, it's all about the people that have surrounded me and gone on the journey with me. Yeah. But I, I think your, your view on business is not, it's, it's less about profits, although they're important, but you understand that your people are kind of who are behind your profits and, and more profits. And, and, to, to my understanding right now, Kevin, um, it seems like you're very in tune with all of your employees, right? And it seems like uh, you have effective ways to communicate or, or at least hear the communications at, at all different levels and you want to be in tune. And, and I love the word that you keep using is a privilege, right? I think sometimes um, when we don't have gratitude for what we have or the, the, our history, our family history, um, it's not viewed as privilege, right? It, we, we see it as an expectation that everybody had that life or that upbringing. And, and you obviously, and you, I obviously, and Tyler know um, that that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, when did, I guess, when did you come to that realization that your upbringing with your parents and having that helpful mindset was okay in leadership? Because typically it was probably to Tyler's earlier point, love is like a weakness, Sometimes this feeling and this emotion is sometimes viewed as weakness in leadership. How did you 
How did you find that balance? Never, right? Never, it never. <laughs> I was, I was gonna guess, but <laughs> it never, it never dawned on me. It never dawned on me that you treat people any other way, mm-hmm. right? It never dawned on me. Like I, I never had some. You know, we started the company. We were a bunch of best buddies. Right. The first decision we made was let's get each other health insurance to make sure no one gets, you know, <laughs> take care of each other. Right. Like we're, we're best friends, you know? So like if you grow in that image and like this, like you don't create optionality or choice. Right. Um, they're, they're just, it's just the ethos that me and, and, and the folks have, have had and carried. And so I don't think there's an answer to when did I figure that out? And, and to the earlier question on, on like, did I think it was, I, I do think I realized fairly early that like I, I had it good, you know, and I was given that stuff. Um, um, I think that that's come into sort of a more public conversation more recently. Um, but I, I, I believe we've always tried to do right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know that when, as a, for instance, when it comes to sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion, as we've looked at ourselves over the last um, 24 months, like, you know, the, the, the world um, very publicly pronounced this problem, right, mm-hmm. two-ish years ago. Mm-hmm. And we looked around our leadership team and said, you know, awful white, mm-hmm. you know, and looked around our industry and said, awful white, awful male. Mm-hmm. And um, so... You know, we've taken every uh, effort that we can to fix that, uh, knowing that it can't be done in an unsustainable way, that it's got to be deliberate and over time. And that's that's part of the reason for us to grow. Right. Mm-hmm. If we're going to serve Rochester, if we want to be the most influential energy company in Rochester, which is our goal. Right. As a company, uh, more more influential, potentially even taking over the local utility. Right. We want to be more influential. than Ooh, them. Can't happen soon enough. <laughs> if you want to do that, if you want to serve a community, right, you have to look like the community you're serving, right? If you're not, if you're not willing to be deliberate about making that effort, um, I don't know how you can how you can meet that goal. And so we've been very deliberate uh, about about writing that ship and working on our inclusivity um, and our equity in 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 terms of the people we have. And then ensuring that our, our hiring process is um, opening the doors to much more diverse candidate pool sets. Yeah. And thank you for not being quiet about that, Kevin, like you shared. It's like, I think when, when we are upfront and honest and, and talk about it as a, as a true privilege, that we build that understanding, right? And I think that that is like one of those fundamental building blocks to build that trust and accountability that we, we understand that. Um, but we're also trying to move past that and, and understand, like, what do we do next, right? How do we roll up the sleeves? And that's what Tyler and I talk about frequently is like the action side of it. And you're clearly about the action. So thank you. <laughs> All I can say is like super incomplete, right? Mm-hmm. Like my grade, my grade on this subject is like incomplete, right? Yeah. And like, um, you know, will it, will it ever be complete though? Is it, it it's, I don't see DNI as a check of the box or it's ever off, off like the to-do list. I think that E and I maybe can come off, uh, can never come off the list, mm-hmm. but like, if you can grow to a balanced, uh, diverse, truly diverse workplace, like, and it becomes part of your ethos. Mm-hmm. right to ensure your everything from the pool of candidates to your existing employees carry with you that diversity then i don't i don't know that you can't you can never stop that journey mm-hmm. but you can um i think you can normalize that journey if you if you are deliberate about trying to get there right and so mm-hmm. but in terms of like being an equitable workplace making sure that everyone here is treated um fairly and and with the same um you know, set of things and being inclusive, you know, having safe spaces for people to have conversations, like, absolutely, those things are living and breathing. And I think diversity is too, and will be for us for a long time. But my hope is that one day I can look up and say, I've done it, I've created a truly diverse workspace. Um, and, and then I'm then I then I also hope I can wake up and say, and while we're continuing to improve, 
I've made it equitable, I've made it inclusive. And, um, you know, that, that that's the goal. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what it looks like to get there. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I say absolute incomplete. It's work. It's work to do. Kevin, I will tell you, man, you kind of make it look easy, man, uh, on what you, you know, your topics over here. You, you make it look easy. And I have a hard time uh, believing that you, you, you're just uh, checking boxes ever, man. I, I'd like to ask you, what creative ways uh, do you make your employees, you know, feel, feel valued over there? I'm sure it's not just your average, hey, this is a survey. Thanks, guys. See ya. And here's some pizza or, or, or some, some subs that aren't subs. Can you right. let us know what you've done? I, I guarantee you that you've thought out of the box on this. And uh, just to make those 75 folks feel, feel a little better about themselves every day. Um, oh, what a loaded question, you know, um, I think my, my first answer to this question is what a true struggle this is in the current environment, right? I just had a conversation this morning about masking, you know, and it's like people like the math tells us that if we're really deliberate about waiting this out in four weeks, like this thing can start to become a waning part of our ethos of our, of our life, right? That's an opportunity, but like stick to it. We're almost there. Right. And like, you know, so you have to have that conversation every day. And so it's like, but in this world where like, you know, we're in remote meetings still, I mean, I'm one of, now I have a, I have a, there's a meeting in the back. We have um, safety and CPR training for our people in the back today. And so, um, you know, that's, that, that's, going on so we have a more crowded office than normal normally there's like five of us here right and everybody else is remote and so you're missing that we're missing the retreats where we ask each other deep personal questions and share more about how do we build this team than how do we build the the work that we're doing right how do we we do the do work differently and so i think my answer to that question is you set up start with right do I have the tools and resources for people to thrive as human beings first and as employees second? Question one, right? And that's, again, to the earlier point, that's a living question, right? Uh, every day, can we do better? And, you know, so it's like, and, and then you fend off in that process all these different things. So, like, we, we have this conversation going on about going to a four-day work week. And, and so when you think about those kind of questions, like I don't believe in a four-day work week. Why don't I believe in a four-day work week? Well, because I don't actually think it's an equitable policy. I think that what we do is we provide unlimited vacation to people, but like we run construction sites. So like the construction guy that has to work on Friday because he's got a subcontractor, he's got a, or, or, or they have to work with and can't take off and you're at home and you can take off. Like how is that creating an equitable space? Mm-hmm. It isn't. And so I think it's hard in our industry and our, our, our sort of disciplines to, to do that. But it's, and, 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 and you, you start to ask yourself your question, okay, like what I've given, what we've got as a set of benefits and policies, like, is it good enough? And then I can tell you that the, the, um, the next generation of leaders in our company presses us on getting better daily. And it drives me over the moon some days. Cause I'm like, man, haven't I done enough? Like, I feel like I'm doing enough in, 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 in their right to do it because it challenges you. It challenges their bi- my biases and makes me better as a leader. And so being open to that. And then it's just like being human. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a guy, mm-hmm. new employee named Andre, came into the shop the other day and I was sitting, I, the, my office gets too hot. So I go sit in the, in the uh, warehouse on a chair and I stand all day long. So, you know, I get, you know, enough steps in. And so at some point I just go and I slouch at a chair at three o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> when you're spent. And Andre comes in from one of his first days on the job and he starts talking to me like I was another installer. You know, I wear jeans and a hoodie just like those folks do and, and all that. And so he starts talking to me and, and we get to talking and, and, and eventually he says to me, you know, I've never met a CEO before. Wow. And it's, you know, it's just that conversation. Like it, it took 10 minutes into the conversation before he realized that he was talking to his employer and that's because I'm not interested in being his employer. I'm interested in being a part of his life and a friend. And mm. so if you treat people with that level of humanity, then uh, I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's any question about the uniqueness of the approach. For me, it breaks my heart that too many of my employees won't bring me their problems. 
because I, I also have a big job and so I can't deal with all of them. And that's just the reality of, right, the physics of 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Um, so what I, I've developed this concept for myself of uh, tr what I call trust centers throughout the organization. So people that I trust that will give me you know, an overall sense of the challenges their team is facing and the problems their team is facing or the joys they're experiencing. And so I, I can reach out to them and get the overall vibe um, because I can't possibly talk to everyone, certainly not now at 75 people and not at 175 or 1,000 or whatever have you. And so that, that, that developing that concept for me is important so that, you know, I think vibes matter. Right. And so, like, if a whole group of 20 employees are down in the dumps because they're out in the mud, you know, five, six days a week, like, I got to do something about that. What can I do? So, like, at the end of last year, I did some stuff like I took, um, and I, this is not an original idea. Someone else had done this. I made jambalaya for a 20 person crew working in Union Springs, New York, and I took them lunch one day. They're out working in the mud in Rochester in, in November. And I said, you know what, this is the least I can do and drove it down there and had gave them a hot lunch instead of having to go to, you know, the, the, the McDonald's or whatever around the corner said, here's hot, delicious lunch. And so there's other little things you could do to share your community with everyone that you work with. Yeah, which is huge, right? And, and then seeing you being and understanding your impact on the lives of individuals, right? You, you talk about uh, potentially um, giving them an opportunity that they previously never had available. Um, you're talking about at the same time, understanding your place in the community, right? And, and being a true community partner and really developing the skills. And, and a lot of it, Tyler and I see most through our conversations is the work on ego, right? And a lot of people, Kevin, I don't, I haven't picked up ego once on you, you know, I haven't even gotten a, a brief whiff of, of ego. And it, and it's something that I think, um, it comes from that background, right? I think our, 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 our parents have a lot to do with that. Um, and our belief in ourselves is that there's a difference between confidence and, and ego. Um, and it sounds like you have really been able to have limit your ego, um, which allows you to formulate these trusted bonds and relationships internally. So they're telling you really what is actually happening, not what you want to hear. Um, and I think you've, you've really fought hard to build and establish that level of trust and openness with your staff um, that I think a lot of people are hearing what they want to hear right now. And then it becomes a huge surprise to them when it's a challenge. Have you found that, that the, the increasing the amount of communication in these trust centers, that it's helped you to be more flip into a more proactive rather than reactionary practices and leadership? Yeah. So in 2018, we had... Um... So 2015-16, we, we attempted a, a merger with a couple of other companies. And in the spring of 2018, it failed. And having spent a load of dough on that and uh, just really more than the money we spent was like the, the, the executive, the leadership focus on this transaction, uh, not bringing in the next deals and stuff like that 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 um we, we we just about ran ashore in in uh it was actually halloween of 2018 we call it around here we call it d-day where we laid off half the staff and um there was one word that the people that were left uh said that just over and over again resonated with with particularly george and i in in others um and that word was transparency hmm. And so as this stuff went on, right, in a normal world, um, I'm in an office, but like I have a table here and the door is open and people come in freely and they talk to me and they'll know if I'm if I stay here and focus on my computer and don't turn to you like they'll know, right, like Kevin doesn't have time for me right now I'll come back later right and it's mm -hmm. like, it, it's almost nonverbal communication and it's okay, right, I'm busy with something, you know, come back, and they'll do that. And we, we had found ourselves in that period of time where we were in closed door meetings, right? Mm -hmm. George and I are behind closed doors and we're dealing with this and realized that we had lost that, right? Mm -hmm. We had lost that just truth uh, and transparency to our people. And so it started with like, here it is, people. We ran ashore. We ran this ship, almost hit the rocks, right? Mm -hmm. Here's why. Here's the financials. Mm -hmm. So now on a monthly basis, uh, we show monthly financials, annual year-to-date financials, 
um, and then have financial literacy classes with our team for anybody that wants to learn what that stuff means. Because wow. you said earlier, like you don't focus on profits. That's not true. We focus on the reality that there is no purpose without profit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you hold true to that statement, which is, you know, sort of a common statement in the sort of B Corp world that we live in, like if you hold true to that, okay, cool. There's no purpose. I've got to make money, right? Got to mm -hmm. make money. Money helps with growth. Money helps with, you know, reinvesting and doing other things. So here we go. And uh, so we did that. Um, stopped the closed door meetings through that period of time for about six months, we went from every day, like every person that's left, all 36 people that were left after the, the, the layoff, let's get in a meeting half an hour a day. We're going to talk about what's going on. What are we going to do today? You know, and, 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 and how do we, and how do we improve things? And um, since then, I think that that has ruled uh, the day for the business and that, that transparency has become uh, really at the ethos of who we are as a business is, is being open and honest with people, telling them about our flaws, sharing the financials, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so that to me is, was a major inflection point for um, that relationship with, with our people. Whew, oh, such a absolutely. strong, strong, yeah, Tyler, my, I could geek out about tons of things that you just said in there, Kevin, but I think, I think transparency is the, was the biggest complaint and why, a lot of people are um, skittish or tentative to come back to the workforces during the pandemic. I think if they learned the lesson that you had learned back in 2018, how much different was it for you as you navigated the pandemic? Because I'm sure you increased the amount of communication all over again. I'm, I'm sure you were transparent and open all over again with your employees. Like, did you follow the same blueprint or the same model of the, what you had learned in 2018? I will tell you that the 2018 experience was the greatest tool we had for getting through <laughs> the pandemic, right? Wow. Uh, no, no question about it. But what's interesting is it's persisted. It's been longer. But the reality is, is that when 2020 hit, it was like way less bad than 2018 not because one was some greater event than the other. Yeah. Obviously, the, the 2020 thing was way greater <laughs> from a macro perspective. But like, uh, it, it, it just was like you knew how to turn to crisis mode. Mm -hmm. uh, you knew, right? Because to your point, yes, we were going to once weekly and now we're on Zoom and, you know, this kind of thing and everybody go home and all of that stuff you had to do, right, to make it work. Mm -hmm. uh, felt way less bad than, oh shit. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh right. darn, we're out of cash and I can't make payroll. Yeah. Right. Um, we never got into that place. And so from a bit purely business perspective, we took so many lessons from the 2018 experience and allowed us to navigate these waters. And, uh, you know, the, we did not, I mean, I remember when it started and everybody's like, everybody's going to go home for two weeks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that was two years that. ago, people. Yeah. That was two yeah. years ago. <laughs> yeah. Almost ah. a day. It was right around March Madness. And I was ticked it, it off because I was like, yeah. wait a minute, March Madness is over. What? That's when I knew it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, I, and Kevin, I love how you keep uh, nailing down transparency, dude. I'll never forget uh, right before the pandemic hit when I was at Bright, uh, Bright, formerly known as Bright Computers over there in Victor, our CEO showed us his freaking W2. At our sales kickoff and dude, talk about you know you bled with wallace now bleed with me feeling like yeah, i was ready to just charge you know um and i was going to ask you who around there have been some of your mentors that you that you recognize or that have kind of shown you the path or was it just your business partners that you, you're kind of rallied around so uh there's a lot of people that have been mentors to me i mean it goes back probably to 20 so in 2007 we installed a wind turbine at, um, at Jiminy Peak Resort in, in, it was the first wind turbine at a ski resort in the world. Uh, and the CEO was a guy named Brian Fairbank. And he was an early advisor, taught me the concept of, uh, handed me my first Jim Collins book, taught me the concept of core values as a business and how to have a vision and mission statement in front of your people. And so he was one. Bob Bechtold at Harbeck Plastics has always been a mentor of mine, just, just kind of, you know, being above um, above what other people are thinking, right? 
Like you think you're working on the climate crisis? Now you ain't working on the, I'm working on the climate crisis. I'm going to be way in front of you. I'm going to invest ahead of the market, all that sort of stuff. So he's always sort of been one. And then about 20, I think it was 2013, 2014, I started getting in CEO coaching. Uh, so I had a mentor for a while, a guy named John Kalia, who's a, who's a local guy, um, worked, you know, high levels at Bank of America via um, a group called Vistage, uh, was in a group of, you know, CEOs from around the area, found the experience rewarding from the perspective of like learning nuts and bolts of business, but not necessarily like a shared ethos with my, my co sort of cohort members. Um, took a break from that when we didn't have any money in 2018 and then came back uh, and started in a group called Climate Masterminds with a gentleman named, run by a gentleman named Chris Wedding uh, over the last year. And so this is now, I think he's got about 36 CEOs um, all in the climate space. You know, it's virtual around, although we're going to have a retreat, um, you know, hopefully here soon. And so uh, in that place. And so that, that group's been amazing. So now I'm on the phone with people that are doing anything from like biopolymers, you know, carbon-free biopolymers to, um, you know, like this one guy owns a company called World Tree. He's, he's growing the, the fastest growing hardwood tree in the plant, sequesters eight times as much carbon as a normal pine, you know, and he's got a whole business on, wow. hey, let me plant these for you and I'll own them and just use a little bit of your land and I'll give you half the money at the time of heart like just this incredible, this incredible group of people hmm. that actually don't look at me like I have lobsters coming out of my ear for, you know, trying to run a business in climate space. And, and so that's been a really rewarding experience. And then, you know, first and foremost is, is my, my partner, George, and my, my leadership team here at, at GreenSpark. I mean, those people, two, two ways, right? One is give you the faith and the trust that like, I don't have to look at you every day. Mm -hmm. I don't have to look at the day to day. Mm -hmm. I get to create a vision for what's next and what a joy and a privilege it's been since those people have sort of stepped up to the reality that they can run, you know, this, this big business uh, every day. And so I think it's really impressive from, you know, you, you know, we just went through, we, we just went through budget season, right. And, mm -hmm. and marketing director, Megan Schulte, uh, my sister also, I will mention, um, says to me, I'm going to triple my budget. And then goes and says, okay, but I'm going to show you that I can triple the revenue. If Carrie can build it, if Carrie and her team and Resi Ops can build it, I'm going to triple my budget. I'm going to get you three times as many leads. And I'm going to invest in next year so that we're doing the market education, brand awareness, and everything we need to do in 23, right? Has her dollars and cents lined up, right? If I had asked her that question five years ago, it would have been chaos, right? And shoot ad, you know, would have been like, Kevin, make a spreadsheet that says this, right? And so the growth in these people, in these team, in this particular person, um, specifically understanding that marketing is not just a vibe, it's actually a calculation and mm -hmm. making that transition over a period of time, just phenomenal stories. Ernie, who's the third of George and I, started our customer care division, which is a unique proposition to blend operation and maintenance of these assets, solar assets, and customer service into one thing because yeah. if you don't have a truly unique and excellent experience with our product with the investment of money you made into our company like how do i get the next person mm -hmm. so why don't i take the nicest guy i ever met and say make sure our customers are happy right like that's that and he's he's built that division we started it a year ago he dropped our response time to have a customer you know and, and he knows this he knows the math behind this he started a response time to have our customers in a place where a year ago, we took us 58 days to rectify an issue and he's got it down to 13, right? So like just tremendous progress. And so you see this is like, I don't have to talk to Ernie every day. Ernie knows how to take care of the customers. I don't know how to take care of the customers. So let me go get what's next on the table. I love that. And, and I think you just have, having that trust, trust, I think is what is, is most important. Like transparency builds trust or rebuilds trust here in this post pandemic area where some businesses didn't not keep people um, as abreast of what was going on internally. And then the furlough was a surprise. And now people are scorned and upset and, and, and um, ticked off. Um, it's amazing to hear kind of um, your experiences, not only as a leader, but as a person, Kevin, and how they have kind of um, intertwined, excuse me, or tangled themselves 
with your both professional and personal. Um, I am one of those people, and you shared it at the beginning of the episode, I was one of those people that had to learn that lesson during the pandemic that it's okay to blend personal and professional together. I fought so hard to keep it separate because that was what I was accustomed to from my father and my grandfather and just kind of what we were all told and taught. Um, but I learned a ton from this conversation today. Um, I would love to um, have another conversation with you in the future because this is, this is, this is amazing um, to just hear of somebody that's so involved that not only their employer um, and yes, being a CEO is great, but somebody that understands that it's more than just the business and the profits that we have today. It's what impact am I making on the world, um, the individual's lives that choose to work for me. Um, you can just see that your energy is just more big picture. And I just want to say thank you for all that you're doing, not only in, in, in just your business, but also for the greater community here in Rochester. And that's how we all get better. So I thank you so much for, for agreeing to be a part of the show as well. Yeah, it's been fun. And I, I, if I can, before you let me go, I want to say one thing about you, you made the, the comment about the great uh, resignation, right? And you told me you have a couple thousand people that are potential job seekers that are looking for jobs. I, I just want to make one comment about it. Mm -hmm. If you as a business person are going into a meeting and you're in a bad mood, right? And you're in a bad mood at home before you got to work and then you're in a bad mood all day at work, like change, change something. Yeah. Don't resign and go home. Find something better. You know, find a B Corp to go work for. Find a company that's got mission and purpose to go work for. I, I can't stand those meetings and those times when, like, you know, you're sitting across from a table with a person that got up angry that morning, kicked his dog, went to work, hated his job, <laughs> went home and kicked his dog again. And, like, you know, there's opportunities in this world to change. Mm -hmm. have, have, the, have the opportunities for employment are up. There's more opportunities. And so... You know, I, I just want people to know um, to make sure that you're looking out for your whole self mm -hmm. in seeking opportunities that are fulfilling, both from a purpose perspective, the people you work with, et cetera. I just think so many people are ingrained in that idea that, like, I have a job mm -hmm. and I'm going to stay in that job because it's safe and secure, when the reality is it's more safe and more secure for you to be able to bring your whole self, you know, to work every day. And you can do that in places. Uh, you just got to be deliberate in finding them and, and taking the time. So I, I just, I, I, I just that. want people to know uh, that those opportunities are out there. Great insights. Um, and obviously something that, you know, is very important is that employee value proposition, you mentioned the mental, the physical, the emotional, but more or less, you're also making that reinvestment in your people and really seeing them as assets because the more you invest in their, personal and professional well-being and train them and reskill them or upskill them is going to bring you a bigger, bigger reward back as the business, but also it's helping prepare them for the future of work as well at the same time. So Kevin, right. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and this interview today. You were fantastic. And, and from Tyler and I, I just want to say thank you so much for being one of those special leaders here in Rochester. Hey, I appreciate you having me. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. Do it again sometime.